0: We are going to dive into the last part of that chapter. Um, I know Sergey preached through chapter two, I think, recently, so we're going to get a little background on that today. Um, I am not Sergey, as you've noticed. Um, I'm not Ukrainian, even though I am for a day, because I did park in a spot, which said you had to be Ukrainian to park there, so I'm going to be Ukrainian for a day. So, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that sign he's got back there, but I thought it was pretty funny. Um, anyway, uh, I will try my best to live up to, to his standard here in this pulpit. Uh, I'm very grateful for Sergey and for this church. Um been very welcoming to me. Uh, as you can probably already tell, I am not from Chicago. You may hear that in my voice. I grew up in North Carolina, and I moved to Chicago about two years ago to plant a new church here. Um, And so I've gone through the growing pains of learning Chicago and going through this past winter, uh, which I actually thoroughly enjoyed, and uh, probably maybe down the road I won't enjoy as much, but I really like that, that winter. I I like cold weather. So um, my wife and I moved here two two years ago. Um, We had three kids, but we had a fourth on the way, and we actually had one when we got here. So we actually have someone from Chicago in our family. Uh, It's our littlest daughter, Lily. (laughs) <laughs> and I wish they could be with me today. My wife is not feeling too well, um, but I just want to. I just want to say I'm really grateful for for Christian Fellowship. Uh, when we first started having our services at Grace Covenant Baptist, we met here in this uh, sanctuary. Uh, many of you know that uh, we meet in the evenings here, and so we were very grateful for. Um, just that generosity of this church to let us be uh, here in this community. Our focus is Lincoln Square North Center, so we're just north of here, and uh, we're actually meeting in a, in a building closer to the neighborhoods we're kind of targeting up there. Um, but if you would pray for us, um, that I would really be grateful for that. Um, Grace Covenant is a young church. We, we're very small, and uh, we're just trying to grow and lead people to Jesus, and that's what we want to do. And so if you'll pray for us, we'd greatly appreciate it. We have a service at four, so I'm actually going to preach there uh, this afternoon so um, anyway just we're grateful for the relationship here between these these two churches and hope that that just continues as we uh, strive for kingdom work uh, here in the city um, so let's dive into this this text today and see what God has to, um, for us to learn uh, one of the things that I titled this sermon things aren't always as they seem uh, and and I think that really uh, comes into play when we, we look at people and we make kind of a judgment call on what they look like and who they are, right? I mean, even as I stood up here today, uh, you don't have to admit it, but you probably looked at me and maybe even heard my voice and made a judgment call about me, right? Which is fine, right? But it just happens. We, we always tend to do that. We will look at something and we will make a judgment call about that, about that person or about that thing. we will hear the way they speak or maybe they don't speak. Maybe they're really a quiet person and they don't talk very much. And we make assumptions about who they are without even knowing who they are. We just kind of look at it, make a quick judgment, and and a lot of times just pass it on and maybe not even have a a conversation with them based on that, or maybe we do engage in conversation because of the way they are. So we make these judgment calls about people and things that we see. It reminds me of a story. This older gentleman... Goes into, uh, he goes into a car dealership. And the day he goes in the car dealership, he wears what he normally wears. He's wearing a older button down shirt, you know, looks a little tattered, uh, because it's one of his favorites. He really likes to wear that shirt. Um, he's wearing some, uh, some khaki pants that are also a little tattered, maybe not the cleanest things in the world. His shirt's untucked. He's wearing sandals. Uh, he's just, he's sitting his ways. He's an older gentleman. He's got, you know, the way he likes to dress. And he goes into this uh, this BMW dealership, and he's got this old satchel on his shoulder, and uh, he goes in and he begins to look around at the cars. Um, and as he gets in there, he realized no one comes to see him, no one comes to talk to him. Uh, you know, he kind of expected maybe a salesman would come up and start, you know, talking to him. That's what usually happens at a car lot, but no one came. So you know, he figured, well, maybe everyone's busy. So he goes around and he looks at the Different cars, and you know, maybe opens the door and looks inside and checks it out, and um, and still, after you know, several minutes, there's you know, ten, fifteen minutes, there's no one has come to see him yet, and so he's starting to get a little confused about what's going on. So he's like, well, you know, maybe I should just let him know I'm here. So he goes over to the person at the desk, and he says, you know, hi, I, I'd like to look at look at a car. Is there a salesman available? And the salesperson. Looks at him, looks him up and down, and makes a judgment call about him, and you can hear it in the cell, the person's voice about the way they treat him, and they're basically like you know, yeah, we can find somebody, but you could hear it in the voice of that person that they don't really want to find anybody. You're really probably going to waste our time, All right? So. The older man looks at the person, recognizes that this happens, sees that prejudgment that happens on that person's face, and decides that this is not the place for him to buy a car. So what he does is he shows this person what they missed out on, and he pulls that old tattered sack up onto the desk, and he opens it up and shows them that there's $75,000 in that bag that he was going to drop on a BMW but no thanks, I'm going to go down the street to find somewhere else to buy it. And you can imagine just the scene of that person sitting at that desk and the mouth, you can hear the mouth hitting the desk as they see that cash, right? Oh my goodness, we just lost that sale. I mean, it's not. this is not a finance financing sale, this is cash money. And they totally missed out on it, all because of that prejudgment about who that person was and whether they could afford to actually buy a BMW. Like I said, we do this all the time. We make this pre-judgment. Oh, I walk around too much. I'm going to knock something over. So we make this pre-judgment about people and about circumstances, and we have to be careful about that. We don't really know what the future is. We don't know what this who this person is. We we're not fortune tellers. We don't we don't believe that that actually happens. We 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 sh- we are not able to tell the future. We don't know what God has intended for each person and what he's going to do with them. So as we look at this text today, I want you to see that that was the case here. In three different ways, you're going to see that that is the case, that things aren't always as they seem. So let us dive in. Let's take a look at this. So we're going to start in verse 15 and go to the end of chapter 1. So Acts chapter 1, verse 15, says this. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of the persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and allotted his share in the ministry, in this ministry. Now this man bought a field With the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. What a beautiful picture. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Ekeldama, sorry, trying to say that, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who accompanied us during all, that, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they, will put, forward, they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word. Uh, We are grateful that we can come today and sit underneath this word um, and have your Spirit teach us today, uh, and, and teach our hearts, Lord. I, I know it's true that, that none of us have ever learned anything about you from another man. We've only learned about you from God, from yourself, from your Spirit who speaks to us. And Lord, we are grateful for that, and so that is what we ask today. As we get into this Word and we, and we open it up and try to understand what it's saying to us, Lord, let your Spirit speak and change our hearts that we might walk away from the hearing of your word and be transformed today, Lord. That is what we desire, what we want. Please, Lord, make your name great through this time. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So, what an interesting text, right? What a uh, There's a lot of things going on here, and, and a lot of crazy things happening in this text. Now, of course, leading up to this, you have got to get a little bit of a context. You know, some of you may not may not be familiar with the Bible. Uh, maybe you're joining us and you're kind of trying to figure this thing out. And that's great. We're glad you're here. And so we want to like walk through that with you. So so we have the 12 apostles that Jesus chose to be a part of who who were his inner circle, right? And and among these apostles, there was one called Judas who betrayed him and who was there the whole time all the way up until the resurrection, all up until the week of the Passion, which is the week right before Jesus goes to the cross and him going to the cross. That week includes that. That's where Judas betrayed him, and the, and and the, and the first Lord's Supper, which we'll participate in later on in this 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 morning, um, that was where Jesus dipped the bread and said, the one who dips the bread with me will be the one who betrays me. And basically, you know, it was Judas, and he said to him, go ahead and do what your heart has has desired to do, which is basically betray me, right? And then Jesus, Judas goes out. He he tells the, the Pharisees where Jesus can be found, and he gets thirty pieces of silver for doing this deed, for selling Jesus out. And and so they come and they arrest Jesus that evening, and that's how the the, the resurrection story begins. As, as Christ goes to the cross to die for our sins, Judas was a part of that beginning, right? And so now we come to this place where Judas needs to be replaced. And and so there's this story about how, what happens to him, that, that there needs to be a replacement, and then there's a, there's a story about what, how he's picked, right? And so what I want to really point out to you today is that these things, like I said, are not as they seem, okay? And so one of the first points I want to make to you is that Judas is one of those people. Because just in his life in general, he was not what he seemed to be. Because if you were in that time period and you met those 12, you would think that guy is in good with Jesus. He's there. He's walking along with him. He's one of the 12 apostles. That means he's been there since the baptism and has went all the way through because that's the requirement in the text we see here in verse 21 for to be a, a apostle and to have this ministry, you had to have been there from the baptism of Jesus all the way to his ascension, right? And so he was there almost to the ascension, right? He 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 sold him out, so he wasn't there all the way. But he's been there the whole time. Judas looked like a godly person. He looked so much like a godly person that no one else in the room, the other 11, had a clue that it was him. Even when he left the room that night, they didn't even get what Jesus did when he dipped the bread in. They were like, where's Judas going? And, you know, well, maybe he's going to go buy some more bread. They totally didn't see that Judas was the deceiver, that he was the betrayer. They had no clue. How shocking is that? How, I mean, for us who are you know two thousand years removed from this story actually happening, it's it's really kind of hard for us to get that picture. But you imagine, like you've got you got twelve close friends or eleven close friends, right? And one of them is out to get you, and you have no clue that he is. You have no idea that he doesn't trust you, he doesn't believe in you, and he's going to sell you out at any moment. And he's like in the inner circle. That's what Judas was. That he must have looked like a godly person. He must have done things that would look like it as well. Right? Because he was a part of that 70 that went out to cast out demons and all kinds of things happened. Like when you hear the stories of the 12 in the Gospels, you have to include Judas in those. Or else the rest of the apostles would have known something about him. They would not have had, they would, not, they would have been like, oh yeah, we knew Judas was going to be the guy. But they didn't know that. So we're talking about a guy who's cast out demons and, and followed the Lord the whole time, been there to witness all of his miracles. And here he is going to sell him out. How is that possible that someone could be that deceiving? And I believe a part of that is because there are people like that who think they know God. They think they know who He is. They think they understand Him. But they've really never believed in Him. They've really never trusted in Him. Even though their actions look just like it. And that is a scary thing for you and I. And it's something for us to really evaluate in our own hearts about where we are with God. Do you go through the motions of Christianity because it's something you think you need to do? Are you following the only hope that you have? Are you walking through this life obeying the Bible because you think it's right and that's what you should do? It's your duty? Because you do believe the book, you believe it should, you should follow these rules. Or do you realize that you can't follow any of these rules at all, and that's the truth about your heart, and you desperately need this Jesus who died on the cross for you, who followed all the rules for you so that you could believe in him and walk in, in a right relationship with God. Because that's the gospel. That's the truth about who he is and who we are. The truth is, I cannot live up to that standard. I cannot follow those rules. I break them all the time. The truth is, it's not just about breaking one. If I break one, I break them all, is what the Bible says. So if I break any, because the standard is perfection, which is why we needed a perfect Savior to die on a cross for us, to give us his righteousness and to take away our sins. And if I don't if I think there's anything in my own righteousness I've mistaken the gospel. And so my plea with you is be careful. Think about this. Are are you walking in this way and thinking that you know and you don't because you've really not put all your trust in him? But if you have you'll see it. Okay? Now now here let me just I know that's that's kind of harsh, right? I'm not trying to guilt you into Christianity in any way. Here's what I want to say to you believers, all right? Because some of you might be going, wait, wait a minute, I thought I was good and I'm good to go, right? All right? Well, let me say this to you. There is a phrase out there called, once saved, always saved. And Baptists have been like one of the champions of that thing. And honestly, it's not the right way to think about it, right? If I go one part of the room and I say this right prayer and then I must be good. Like this is magical thing that needs to happen where I'm at this altar and I say the exact words that I need to say so I can accept Jesus in my heart. Right? That's not actually how that's supposed to work. Even though there's nothing wrong with saying a prayer and, and trusting Christ through that prayer, it's not about where you are and the words you say, but more about what happens in your heart. Right? And what, what the true doctrine of, of actually always being saved and staying that way is really called the perseverance of the saints. And that means that I will stay a believer no matter what happens. Because it's not about me that keeps my salvation. It's Jesus who has my salvation. And He's the one that's keeping me, He's the one that's holding on to me. Right? And so, so when I question my own salvation, which I do, sometimes it happens, I wonder, am I really saved? And the Lord just floods me with remembrance of things that He has done in my life, where He has drawn me in, where He has done things through me, and it's got to be Him because I know that wasn't me. And thats it's such an evidence to us who are believers that we will persevere. It's obvious that Judas was not because he did not persevere. Because that's the, what happens to a believer. They're transformed and God is in control of their life. And that's that what we need to remember. So be encouraged, but also know that just because somebody talks the God talk and even says a lot of things about Jesus that are true doesn't mean that they really know. I was one of those people. From 14 to 21, and I could argue with you that Jesus was the only way to salvation. And I did argue that regularly. However, I was dealing drugs <laughs> in the middle of that right i was partying every weekend and doing whatever and was not convicted about it whatsoever and and that was who i was i could I'd argue with you all day because i grew up in the church i knew the words i knew how to say i was not a believer and so know that you, you things aren't always as they seem right but the lord will will show you the fruit that's how we know who, who people are, whether they are or not, whether, they, whether they've really trusted Christ or not. You see it in the fruit. That's what Jesus said. You'll see it happen. So don't be surprised by that proximity because it doesn't always equal that intimacy, right? So things aren't always as they seem. So we see that about Judas. also want to say that about what happens with the 12, right? What What's this is kind of a weird thing, right? Why did they need to add the 12th one? That's uh, always weird to me. Like, okay, so they have this thing, and and there's prophecy here that really shows that, right? You see this in the psalm, where in verse 20, you see that that, that there's a prophecy about Judas' camp becoming desolate, and that no one's going to dwell in it. So what happened with him as he goes to the to the field, and he 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 hangs himself, and they believe he he must have fallen from that, and that's why it says this about it busting open and his, his his guts going all over the place, you know. Um, that that there's a prophecy about that happen, and then and then Peter follows that with another prophecy from from the Psalms about let another take his office, and so God is telling Peter how this is supposed to work. He's using the Old Testament to interpret what's really happening here, right, and so. He's saying there's another one that needs to take the office, so they plan to. Okay, we need to get a guy to take the 12th spot. But why is that so important? What is that? Why does it matter? If I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this, going, okay, why can't you just have 11? What do you need to have that number for, right? And but there's 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 a big picture going on here, and this is this is another. It's kind of a different way of looking at things that aren't always as they seem because you 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 miss the 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 forest for the trees on this one, right? Why did they have to have this number? Well, because things needed to be fulfilled before the Holy Spirit came. Certain things had to be in place before the church's foundation was fulfilled. Now, this is one of those big picture things. I want to just kind of take you through the Old Testament up to the end of the New, right? So you remember the story about uh, Jacob, his name becomes Israel. He has twelve children. They have twelve, you know. There's the twelve tribes of Israel, right? You know that whole story about what happens there, and and so there's these there's these tribes that are uh, that are that are listed out, and you see this these um they they're everything that the Jewish culture is about, right? About these tribes, and of course the prophecies about Jesus are coming from the tribe of Judah. And and the Levites are this special tribe that have this certain thing, and there's there's all these different cool things that you see about these tribes. Now, here's the interesting thing about Israel. Right? Was Israel a, a faithful, godly man? Yes, he was. Was he a perfect man? No, he was not. Were the twelve sons born in right relationships? Oh, if you know that story, he's got two wives, and he's two, and some of those sons come from the two wives. Uh, servants, right? So you've got 12 kids by four wives. That's what you got going on here, right? So that's, is that, is that God's plan for how he wants things to go? No, it's not, right? That's kind of weird. So, so this whole thing over here in, in the Old Testament is built off this weird situation where you've got things not really working out the right way. And I want to say to you, that's what the Old Testament picture is a lot of times. There's a lot of imperfection in what you see Because the Old Testament is a shadow of what is to come. Over and over again, you'll see the Old Testament be a shadow of what Christ is going to be and who he will be. Because you see, Christ is the perfect Israel, and he chooses his 12 sons, and they are his foundation that goes forward. Now, I take you to Revelation chapter 21 to to explain that, because When you see the city of God come down out of heaven, which is that picture that you see in Revelation 21, you see the 12 gates that are around the city have the names of the 12 tribes. They're the entryway, as the Old Testament is, to understanding who Jesus is. But the foundation are the 12 apostles. So everything in the kingdom of God has a foundation of the 12 apostles. With Christ being the cornerstone of how everything is built. And it's such this beautiful big picture of what God is doing because what's about to happen in the next chapter is the church is going to be created. Up until this point, the church is not really here, but on the foundation of these twelve guys, that's the church. The kingdom of God is, is here and present on earth through the church itself. And that is such a huge thing. So this is why they've got to get this 12th name. They have to have the 12 before the Spirit comes and all of that happens. Because in hindsight, us looking back at it, we're probably going, why didn't they choose Paul? I mean, come on, look at Paul. Why didn't they go with that guy? But it's because that's not the way God planned for it to be. Paul was such a different apostle. He's such a different character. These 12 are part of the biggest picture of all. They are that foundation of what the church is going to be built on and what the city of God itself will rest on. So it's so crazy. Like Things aren't always as they seem. If you don't really look into this big picture of what God's trying to do, a lot of times we miss it. Right? And so there may be people in our lives that are part like that. right? There, we miss out on things that are happening because we're not looking for the bigger picture. We're not trusting the Lord in what's happening around us. And so we just make these quick judgments that this person's not that valuable, this person's maybe not, not as, as important, or you know, or this situation doesn't matter as much. But you have no idea what God's working in this fabric of this big picture. The only reason we see that here is because of the scripture gives us that picture. But I'm telling you, that's what's happening in our lives. We are characters in God's story. And He is doing all kinds of things. So when you pray for somebody or you you you, you love on somebody, you tell them the gospel, you have no idea what's gonna happen down the road with that person. Right? When you, you interact with these people and you share them, share the love of Christ with them and and who he is, that you never know what's gonna go down. And and things that happen in your life, like like uh, sufferings that happen in your life. You have no idea why he's letting that happen. You don't know. But you know who does. That, you know who does. Trust him. Every time those things happen, just remember there's a big picture. You're a part of this big picture of what he's doing. Trust him with that. Let him guide you. So things aren't always as they seem. Last thing I want you to see here is um, what happens when they actually choose this guy, right? So, so he's got to be this certain guy, right? You see, this this qualification for the twelve is that they have to be from John John's baptism of John all the way up until the the ascension, which is what is follow, what is previous here in chapter one of Christ ascending and and giving this um, uh, proclamation that they should go forth and telling them the Holy Spirit's coming. Um, and so they, they decide they're going to put forward two people, right? And so you got in verse 23, you see Joseph called Barsabas, who is also called Justice. And then you got a guy named Matthias, right? Now, I want you to see there, there's something really clear there in the scripture that sometimes we'll just pass over. But, but there, did you notice that the first guy's got three names and the guy at the end has one? All right, well, in that culture, that's a huge deal right? That's a big deal that that guy's got three names. It means he's known by three different circles of people because names in that time period were extremely important. That's why he's the, the son, Bar-Sabas. Whoever Sabus is, is probably an important guy because he's the son of him, right? He's called Justice, right? It has this Greek idea to it. And so there's these different circles that this guy, he's pretty prominent. They would not have listed three names for this guy if he was not an important cat. He's got street cred. He's he's like he's got a resume that matters. That's what he's got, right? And so then you got oh yeah Matthias, right? <laughs> I mean you, that's all he's like he's only got one name. You know, he doesn't have the degree. He doesn't have you know all of the accolades that that guy's got. But you know he's still he's a faithful guy. He's been here through the whole thing. He he meets the qualifications. Notice the qualifications weren't that he had a great resume. It was that he's been here from the baptism from John, and then he's been there through the ascension. right? So that's the qualifications. Not all this other stuff. And so when they go to the Lord, they, 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 they do a smart move. And they say, let's, God, let's let God decide. Because one thing that those apostles knew was that they are fallible. Right? They understood that they needed God to show them who this was, they realize their own problems. And I think if, if we have just an easy reading of the Gospels, you'll see all of them have problems, right? I mean, Peter denying them, the sons of thunder who want to call down fire on people. They got all kinds of issues inside this disciple crew. And so they knew that. So they go to God and they say, well, God, you show us, right? What do they say there? They, they say, you know, the hearts, you know, the hearts of all people. Right? And probably in their Jewish minds, they're thinking of David being chosen as the king. You remember that story, right? David's got all these older brothers, and Samuel comes up, and he's, he's checking all these people, like all these brothers, and he's like, wow, this is a good one, Lord. This got strong and tall and big, and he's, he'd be a good king, Lord. And God's like, mm-mm, he's not mine. He's not my choice. And, of course, Samuel goes through all the brothers, and finally David's not even there, and you know, they're like, well, you know, the runt of the, of the litter is out there taking care of the sheep. You really want him. You know and, and so, as Samuel walks up to david, he 's like, "Boom, there he is. God just clearly shows that this is the one, and in that passage, you see him say it's not about what 's on the outside, it 's what 's on the inside. God knows the heart of men, and he knows that David is going to follow him. He knows that david he knows david 's heart, and so that 's what 's happening here. They probably have that story in their mind, and they 're like, We need to let God choose, <clears throat> so they do something crazy here. they cast some lots now they, this is this is a practice in the Old Testament, right? This is what they've always they've done all the way up until this point. And they've they've rolled the dice. Let's see what God says. Let's 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 lay this out here and cast these lots and see what happens. Because they know they believe in the sovereignty of God and that He will choose. He will show them through this. This is the way He does things, right? Now. Just a side note, is this the way we're supposed to do things? Should I, like, get me some dice and put it in my pocket and walk around going, all right, guys, is that the thing I need to do, and just roll them? I mean, it's not, I'm playing craps with the Lord. I don't know. I don't don't think that's probably how we should do it, right? There's actually a transitional point here. So I bring that up because there's something important you need to see about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a very transitional book. So you have to take it in that way. You have to understand there's a lot of things happening here, where there's transitions that are happening and you can't go, okay, well, that's definitely how we should do things. You have to look at the big picture of Acts right, and see what's going on. What's happening here is that God is changing the way he does things by sending the Holy Spirit. And what's really interesting is the final move is that what they do with the Old Testament, how the Old Testament does things, is changing because they don't have the indwelling spirit to tell them what to do. Right, They only have him as a cloud in front of them to follow. They only have him as the one who interpre- you know, makes the, the lot go the right way. Right, They have these different ways that he's there, but he's not actually indwelling inside of them to show them the way they should go. But from this moment on, I mean from this last verse right here on, that changes. So that changes how we go to God and ask him about how things should be. I'm not going to God to cast lots. I'm going to God to ask Him to guide me because His Spirit dwells within me. Right? Totally different way of thinking about things. So there's a transition spot. So we're not casting lots. That's We're not rolling dice to figure out what God wants. We are inquiring of the Spirit who lives in us. And so God makes the choice. Right? God makes the choice of Matthias, not the other guy. Not the guy with all the accolades because he knows the heart. And so... Just a story that, you know, just goes back to what we were saying before. That prejudging thing that we do on a regular basis that happens in us, we have to be careful of. We have to watch out for that when it comes to, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I I have, and this is a horrible, wicked, evil thing that I'm just going to tell you about. I I have actually not shared the gospel with someone based on what they look like because I didn't know if they were going to respond to me. I'm going to be honest with you. I've done that. I'm sad I'm ashamed of that because I should never have done that. But I have actually done that, where I have made a call about somebody. Not so much about their 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 race or anything like that. It was more about just I just thought they would be hard against me or come at me or just you know, I just had these assumptions about what they look like based on what they would how they would respond. I put it in my head how they would respond to me, and so I said, Well, they'll probably just reject it. And and I didn't share the gospel. And, I, and I, you know, I, I repent of that. And I say that to you so that it never happened. You won't do that. That we would not prejudge people based on who they are and what status they have or how much money they have or what color they are or anything else. That we would know that God can guide us in everything that we do. Whether it be witnessing, whether it be the decisions that I need to make, no matter what's happening, God can guide us. God will paint that big picture with us as we trust Him and let, us, let Him lead us. So as this leads up to the Holy Spirit coming in the next chapter, my plea with you today is that you would let the Spirit guide you. That you would trust Him, that you would constantly communicate with Him. Listen, what Jesus did on the cross was allow the Spirit to come in you. He could not be there unless you were holy. Which is the next image of what's going to happen in chapter 2. Those tongues of fire, the reason they're on fire is because of holiness. It's Because that's the holy God. That's what that fire is. It's the holy God coming down on these guys. And on you and I who believe in Christ. That you would have God Himself dwell in you. That you are the temple. The Old Testament temple, it's you. The Holy of Holies is who you are now. Because you have been made holy by God and the Spirit comes to dwell in you and He could not be there unless you were transformed by the Gospel. Unless your sin was paid for and you were given Jesus' righteousness and you were made holy before a righteous God. You could not have Him dwelling in you. That's who you are. That's just mind blowing. First Corinthians chapter six, if you want to look that up, that's where that is, right? My temple of the Spirit. That's who you are, and we can live that way. We can talk to him. We can communicate. We've been reconciled to this God and we can let him guide us. And he wants to. He wants to stop us from making those kind of decisions. He wants us to communicate on a regular basis where I'm just carrying on this conversation with him. And I'm striving. I'm striving to do that. I want to do that. I want to let him lead me. Because the truth is, things are always the way it seems to him. He knows everything. He knows everything about every person I meet. He knows every hair on their head or lack thereof, Dave. <laughs> he knows. He knows all their hairs. He knows everything about them. And so when I go to share the gospel with someone, I start telling them about him. One of the coolest things that happens is when you, when you start sharing with them is when the Spirit just kind of gives you stuff to say that you didn't know what to say. Because he knows them. He, he, he formed them in, his, in their mother's womb. So I can trust Him. And I can trust Him with all of my life because it says in that same chapter, all the days of my life are written down. He's a sovereign God who knows everything. And He's allowed us a window into knowing that by allowing us to participate in that divine nature that Peter talks about. I get to walk along with God and be the house for Him. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that in this church. Let let him lead this body of believers to a place where he wants it to be. He unifies us. He brings us together. That's, That's what we all have in common. That's why we're here today. Because of the Spirit. Let him lead us together. Let him help us not make those prejudgments about people. And just trust him. With all of your situations in life and all of the people that you meet. Trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your your word. We are grateful for your guidance. We're grateful for your spirit, Lord, that you would teach us about yourself. Father, um, we desperately need you. We need you to help us live out our lives the right way. Teach us through your word as your spirit interprets that to us and shows us what we need to learn from it and transforms our heart from the inside, God. We, we desperately need that. As churches here in this city, Lord, this is a tough place to be a believer in the Bible. or we, we, we need your help. We want to see your kingdom advance here. We want to see people transformed by you. Lord, we want to be transformed more and more by you. May your spirit work in our lives and may we trust you more. It's in Jesus' name I pray.